Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Welcome to our monthly Fresh Pulse episode of IRI Growth Insights Podcast. I'm joined by IRI's fresh expert, Jana Parker, principal of IRI's Fresh Center of Excellence, and special guest and IRI partner, Anna Marie Rohrink, president of 210 Analytics, a research company that specializes in food retailing. Since March of 2020, Jana and Anna Marie have collaborated on reports of departments across the store. So we really encourage you to visit iriworldwide.com backslash fresh foods to see these full reports. Um, in this episode, we're going to get an update on February numbers. Um, just as we were emerging from the worst of the Omicron coronavirus variant. So, John, I'm going to start with you. It really feels like we're bouncing back to greater mobility. Um, we're seeing some volume gains in some categories, probably still because of Omicron. But can you tell us a little bit more about the balance? Yeah, it's been an interesting piece because obviously, even just since February, we're obviously now recording this at the end of March, the world is a little bit more open. COVID is less, t- uh, the numbers, the cases, the hospitalizations are down. But what is so still changing the way that we solve the meal in the case for this and the way that we shop and the way that we live and eat is the inflation situation. So by our February survey, we're still seeing about a third of the population who said COVID is a concern of theirs. That leaves two thirds of the population who COVID was no longer a primary concern. But 91% of people were extremely concerned about the cost of food and inflation. So one of the stats that we talk about in the reports and we track every month is percent of meals at home. We have the shoppers that we survey every month estimate. By the way, it's 2,000 shoppers. So it's a very robust sample. But we have them estimate what percentage of meals are you assembling or making in the home? And for the last two months, January and February, that number's back up in the 80s for the first time in six or seven months. And the reason is not necessarily COVID mobility. The reason is thinking not even as we're sitting here recording this, not just food, but the cost of gas, the cost of clothing, the cost of shipping goods, the worry that maybe I won't be able to get the microchip or the other piece I ordered on Amazon right away. This whole macroeconomic situation has made them realize what's a way I could save money? I'll make food at home. I'll brown bag it as I'm going back to the office. And that has really disrupted 2022. I'd save in more than COVID. You know, I, I want to touch more on the inflation piece because even though prices are up across the board, and I think even in food and beverage, they're up 10% compared to last year, it's not quite even. You know, there are there are some ups and downs. So can we dig in a little bit on some of that inflationary piece? It's a tale of two cities, Joan, in the data, because there certainly are categories that are seeing 25% and higher inflation, but some of those are more occasional purchases. For example, you know, in the in the quarter that we ended in February, we saw the price of things like uh, you know, produce fresh 
trays going up, meat, cheese, cracker kits. A lot of places in the meat department, like chicken wings are up 20% price, but people don't buy those every day. They're still very much anchored on special occasions or mission-based shopping. So they might not even realize that the price is up. Where I think the price impacts are felt both in perception and at shelf are in commonplace everyday items. Predominantly what we're seeing in the meat department, for example, is the entire beef category, which yes, has some special occasion items like steaks and roasts, but also has a lot of everyday items like grinds and and regular source um, items. You know, beef is up almost 18% as data ending March from that period a year ago. And we're seeing a correlating decline in volume of about 7%. So that's the type of thing that people are seeing in the meat department. Now in the produce department, It's also a mixed bag. There are some categories, again, that are up in price, but for the most part, produce today, we have not yet seen that pass along in major frequent purchase categories like berries. But we all know that obviously retailers are balancing act right now. If they have to take the price up because of input costs and meat and cereal and milk and frozen poultry, they're trying to offset that with other items like produce or maybe some of the center of store groceries or frozen items that they aren't yet seeing that pass along. The major driver, one of the major drivers of price increase right now, of course, is supply chain stress and how much it's costing to get food to shelf and produce, of course, especially as we enter the prime supply season, will continue to be pressured with that. But as of today, we're definitely seeing it in a wide variety of categories, but the impact is mixed depending on if it's an everyday purchase, widely purchased from a lot of consumers, or something that's a little bit more mission-based. Anna-Marie, what what would you add to that? No, I think you're dead on right. You know, we often um, are our perceptions are skewed by where we live. And, you know, if you're not in the market for a secondhand car, then you might not realize those are up 30%. And so a lot of times when we ask people about inflation, they talk about the categories that they purchase most. And certainly a lot of the fresh categories fall into that room. And then when you dig a little bit deeper, that's when you really see the shifting behavior happening. Like right now, Avocados, because of various reasons, have record prices. Fruit is sitting extremely high. Fruit is sitting well above where meat is sitting. But then within fruit, you see items that are fairly flat. You mentioned berries. And then you see others that are double digits uh, on up. And so I think people have gotten very savvy. I remember, Jonna, you were around during the uh, Great Recession analytics days as well. And we all said the same thing. Are the lessons that people are learning today going to stick? And certainly in the good economic years after the Great Recession, we're all like, well, it doesn't appear so, right? Um, And now when I look at how people are saving, it's like, hmm, I guess the lessons were sitting in the back of their heads and they're starting to come forward because certainly... We see people uh, jump through a whole variety of of money-saving measures that are typically way later in the cycle. And one of them is buying less. That's usually something that people do at the very, very end after they've applied. I'm going to cook more, eat out at restaurants less. I'm going to buy on promotion. And there's many reasons for that. Um, But yes, we're already seeing people leave the store while they spend the same amount of money and just have a lot less in their cart. And then the other thing, of course, we've talked about this um, for a while, too, is the fact that just aren't as many promotions as there used to be. And when there are promotions, they are not as aggressive as they used to be. And so 
I, I suspect we're going to just see continuant, um, you know, maybe shopping around in different channels and just a host of things that people need to do in order to make their, uh, their end of the month bills work. I think some of those promotions are going to come back, you know, as, as we see more mobility, we see people having more choices in where they're shopping and what they're buying. Um, I think that both retailers and their CPG partners are going to be forced to kind of dial, dial back up those, some of those, um, those promotions. Going back to avocados, yeah, you talked about like Anna Marie, you mentioned, you know, for various reasons, avocados are, you know, pricey or hard to come by. Can you tell us what some of those challenges are right now? I think there's a couple things and avocados would be a parallel, a parallel for many categories. Avocados kind of have a couple double whammies. Um, main reason labor, right? If you think about the picking labor of any of the fruits and vegetables, is that labor there? Is that labor willing to, to, to work and work for the wages that they've been accustomed? Avocados, I think also we're having trouble with imports. A lot of the tropical fruits is obviously as we change our supply chain from a global supply chain to something a little closer to home, things that have to cross state lines and certainly, I'm sorry, country lines, that's a little bit of the backup as well. But what's so interesting about avocados, again, the prices are the highest the market might have ever seen, certainly within our data of the last five years because of the supply chain challenges and pressures. And of course, with produce, you know, I was going to mention citrus, but citrus is also a little bit of how sensitive is the crop to the season. So avocados, of course, some of the weather effects have also impacted just like it's impacting citrus. All that said, though, avocado has been a really interesting one to watch. Just this week, there has been a new study by the American Heart Association that has been a multi-year study that swapping avocados for butter or saturated fat in a diet has been shown to reduce heart disease. That news just came out this week. Avocados have had, I don't want to ever say that something is, you know, recession proof or inflation proof, because of course that's not the case. We're not going to see someone buy a $10 avocado. But the reason why it might not always need to be 59 cents to sell is because you have those macro trends of holistic health. I just mentioned the press on avocados this week has been phenomenal about its benefits. You already have also that avocados fit that kind of escapist food trend. Avocado toast has been a hot menu item now for 10 years and is a mainstay on almost every brunch and breakfast restaurant. It's even at Dunkin' Donuts. And again, you've got folks who are home-based, but they don't necessarily want to just have the same old, same old. Avocados have many different opportunities beyond price to market themselves. So I wouldn't say it's that avocados are then inflation proof, but maybe we didn't need as deep discount promotion to sell avocados to the marketplace. Now, your mention about promotions, Joan, I think is a really keen conversation to have because of everything we just said. Some items are more, for many reasons, supply constrained than others, and the price points we have to charge not retail are very real to keep our margins up. But then other items haven't had as much But historically, especially in fresh foods, we promote less upon generating demand than on what we've always promoted on. And I cycle avocados or I cycle ground beef through my ad planner in the same cadence without much thought about why am I really doing that promotion? What I'd love to see come to fresh foods this summer and ongoing after this inflationary period is we're promoting because we do want to push volume for a specific reason to gain awareness or build reach or create more repeat buyers. 
Or also, I think a lot of retailers, because we have seen so many more split of the dollar between different channels and trips, certain retailers using promotions that are maybe price-based or maybe idea-based to try to keep the dollars for that product in their store. One of the interesting pieces that we talked about in Top Trends and Fresh is especially younger consumers are far less sensitive to buy more volume on a price discount promotion. That generational gap isn't going to change based on the current inflationary environment. Ideation, inspiration, reason to buy is what's motivating a lot of the younger generation. And it's why chains like Trader Joe's and Costco get tremendous kudos from that. It's not about, hey, it's on sale this week, so I'll buy it at Retailer X. It's, gosh, these avocados look amazing. Of course, I'll then pay $1.50 a pound to buy them here. Yeah, you know, I don't think young people really pay much attention to circulars um, the way older generations do. I think you're absolutely right. It's more about the the solution or the experience. Um, But I do want to go to one other kind of high inflation topic right now, which is eggs. You know, right now, as you mentioned, we're recording this at the end of March, which is coming up on the Easter holiday. Um, Do I think people are decorating eggs the way they used to? Probably not, unfortunately. Maybe this year it'll be a big comeback. We are we are expecting a big comeback for Easter. But eggs are usually one of those lost leaders for this time of year. And I was just in the store and I was shocked at the dearth of eggs um, in a, what I would consider to be normally one of the biggest or well-stocked sections of the store. So tell us what's happening with eggs right now. And Anna-Marie, I'm going to go with you on this one. Yeah, so uh, we talked about uh, there being many reasons for supply chain. Johnny did a great job about avocados. What I'll add in that regard is the fact that the Mexican avocados were banned for a while from import. So that created a whole backlog of demand. Um, And certainly within eggs, what we're having there is the issue of avian flu, Um, And as a result, uh, this happened in Europe, but it also is starting to happen in the United States now. And that means when those cases pop up, that the entire uh, flock has to be um, eliminated, unfortunately. And that means that there's a whole lot less supply. And then, of course, the demand, to your point, is very seasonal in eggs. There's very strong everyday demand. But of course, Easter bumps that enormous spike for egg right at a time where we don't have the typical supply. So that's really the classic old supply and demand uh, at work, and that creates a lot of the issues. And then, of course, all of that is compounded by the issues we've been talking about, the issues of being able to get transportation, labor, packaging. Right now, one of the ones that that is hurting is there was a big paper mill strike for three months, so right now, a lot of companies do not have label they, labels. They have product ready to send. They can't send it because they don't have labels. Others are dealing with a particular packaging issue that isn't there or a gas that goes in there that isn't there. So it is really so multifaceted that it's hard to say. I did want to jump up on your earlier discussion here for a moment about young people and prices. Uh, doing a lot of consumer work, a lot of uh, shopper interviews, you have to remember when you buy for yourself, there is only so much incremental gain by buying on sale, right? Oftentimes what they do is they just in the meat department, flip through the packages, find the smallest one. That is their gain, not necessarily what's on sale. Or in the produce department, they buy something that is just for them. 
And so I do think that once those generations start to go in their family raising years where their households grow, that's typically when we see a completely different attitude uh, relative to promotion. So I think in part, it has a lot to do with how they shop, as Jana talked about, where they're much more susceptible to inspiration or more impulsive. Um, but I think in part too, it's, it's lifestyle for sure. And that brings up, if I could piggyback on an excellent point, I think we should talk about, which is as much as, you know, again, promotions are designed to be volume loading exercises by the retailer, but some categories, especially in fresh, you can't freeze and you can only use as much as does not perish. And one of the interesting things that I will be honest, we didn't talk as much about during the great recession as we're talking about this year. And as I'm hearing retailers talk about, which is food waste, food waste, whether it's bloggers, social media, again, to your point, looking through packages at retail to avoid buying something you're not going to use actually, I think has catapulted as one of the top cost fighters in grocery retail this year. And as I've been benefit now that we're more open of being on the road more and meeting with some of my suppliers and and retail partners, food waste has come up so much more than before. Not as much, yes, from a sustainability, good for the earth, but as an inflation fighter. And I do worry, one of the questions I've been asked a lot by the meat industry is, oh, shouldn't we be moving more to value packs to get that price per pound down and get the volume loads we need? That is the complete antithesis of what a lot of consumers want to do today. And yes, while more of us got used to freezing meat during the pandemic, there's still a little bit of taste experience. And Anne-Marie, you're spot on. Yes, folks who have more people in the home, even if they are in their 20s or Gen Z or millennial, behave more like Gen X. And in some degree, baby boomers did. The reliance on an actual paper circular is still changing. But obviously, the more mouths you have to feed, the more you're trying to stretch that food dollar. But a stat that I just happened to throw in to our last Top Trends and Fresh has become the one I get asked the most about on the road this year. 72% of U.S. shopping households do not have children at home, do not have children under 18 at home. So we do so much as a society of retail and supply thinking about multiple person households. And by no means does that mean that just because you don't have a kid under 18 doesn't mean you have more than one or two mouths, but this concept that there is so many households out there of all generations that can't afford six pounds, they don't even want six pounds of bananas and don't want a value pack of you know pork chops. That I think is really an opportunity for the industry because my fear is we do retailers look for certain price points to have certain products at for comparison shopping. And then the way they might achieve that price point is by a value pack. So it brings the price per pound down, but we might waste some of that food for an entire audience of people who just can't imagine eating that much of any one item. Yeah. I think the whole idea of uh, grocery has always been a volume-based industry, right? That That's the saying. And you just have to look at Um, Does that still hold true today in the day of inflation, in the days of preventing food waste, in the days of people being more spontaneous in their meal planning and not just in terms of, you know, sometimes a snack is lunch and lunch is a snack. And also you don't know at four o'clock if you're going to eat out or eat in. So the whole society is just so much more fluid in which it approaches meat and produce and food in general. 
So I, I really think that uh, we always talk, John and I talk about, you know, solutions, not silos, but I think the solutions piece also goes back to that whole, we are a volume driven industry, you know, can, do we need to be, and what other solutions are available to uh, rise above that? You know, you've talked about this in the past um, across different channels, and I've always been very intrigued by that. Jana, you especially have kind of talked about mass or super centers as really being game changers. So, but when I think of mass or super centers, I think of high volume. So how does that play out in this, in this notion that we kind of have to change our outlook on who these households are that we're targeting? Well, I think a little bit of it, I'd love Anne-Marie's take on the households because again, the amount of primary research that she's done and her brain is amazing. But I will say what's so interesting that I've been talking a lot about is when we sit here in our desks and think about club or super centers, yes, we think of volume versus a traditional grocery or a small format. However, in fresh And honestly, throughout the store, what those retailers have sought to become is also trusted brands. Target, Costco, Walmart try to be unique and differentiated from the all things to all people. And Costco, especially, it's how they've built their brand. Yes, you have to buy in volume because it's a club store, but they focus on limited time offers, seasonally appropriate things, and providing products that their guests can discover that are aimed for their members and guests. And Target's also had that mantra throughout apparel, and they're taking it in to bake goods. You know, right now for the holiday season, at almost every Target I stop in, not super Targets, by the way, regular format P-Fresh targets. They have a seasonal display that has everything from cleaning supplies to apparel to baked goods that feel like, hey, yeah, I feel like carrot muffins because it's almost Easter. That holistic thought of this is a total store solution. And now I'm the place you want to buy these items from is really how I should be looking at those channels. And by the way, each have gained a full share point from traditional grocery and fresh over the last year. Yeah, I think both of these channels, somebody told me a very interesting line the other day, and and they said there are items that people, uh, that you have to sell instead of people buying them. And I'm like, well, what's the difference, right? But he explained, he said years ago in retail, he worked for a retailer and once a year, that particular retailer has a broom sale. And he said, I was a young kid, um, thought I knew it all. They're like, why in the world would we have a broom sale like what's excited about that and the old category guy said because nobody realizes that they need a broom and when you put them on sale um, it's amazing how many you can move and really the same is true for things like lip balm and batteries and lighters um, all items that you don't often realize that you need until you need them and have to make that special trip for them so I think that whole idea of what are items that you need to sell versus items that people buy is is such an enormous truism today. And I bet it even to your point depends on the season. It depends on the channel. Um, But it is a really interesting exercise to look at categories throughout the store through that lens. I have to say that I look at a a couple of retailers and I'll use Target as an example of doing a brilliant job of pulling some of those items together 
you know, and associating the broom with spring cleaning or, you know, like Jana, you mentioned, you know, the things that the seasonal displays and I automatically went to Target and it's, they have stuff for indoor, they have stuff for outdoor, they have stuff for holidays, they have stuff for apparel, um, they have stuff for the table. Um, so it's, you're absolutely right. And it's stuff that um, they're selling, but that I feel I need. Well, and it's the idea of solutions, not silos. I think why traditional grocery, and I don't want to say traditional in a negative term, why supermarket grocery retail has evolved the way it has over the last 50 years was the original concept of the supermarket, taking these specialty stores and putting them under one roof. Let's be all things to all people in this community. It's really hard to be all things to all people, especially in today's environment where every single one of us is so used to going on our phones and finding curated content and articles and suggested selling based on our purchase history. That is where I think the digital as well as rethinking the channel and the solution come together. I had the benefit, the the pleasure of being on a panel this week at the American Bakers Association event and conference. And the conversation was all about how do we put baked goods on digital? And it became more about inspiration. We'd relied in that department, for example, on bread fresh at hot 5 p.m., excellent graduation cakes and graduation season. It's not that we cancel that online. We just have to sell it with different triggers. And again, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I feel as though, yes, inflation is real, but so is the need to write course correct why we're selling what we're selling and what we're selling it for and how we're going to get people to buy it. And I hope that those are the tough questions, like Anne-Marie was talking about, that we ask ourselves this year when we can no longer just rely on what we put on ad last year, let's put in an ad this year. Yep. And I think just as we wrap up, you know, what I'm hearing from you is that inflation is the biggest problem right now, um, especially as perceived by consumers. Um, Assortment and supply are still major challenges, very uneven and hit with a lot of different things. Um, You know, like, as you mentioned, imports, labor, um, seasonality. So in summing up, can you give me both of you just maybe one or two optimistic things to say about February, um, because, you know, we're going to be doing this again next month and the month after that. So give me an upside to February. Maybe it's mobility. Um, Anna Marie, I'm going to start with you. All right. Well, I, I still think uh, there are many what I call pockets of growth. Um, uh, Jana, you talked about one, which is online still. Um, while some of the gaps have closed in terms of demographics, who uses them in terms of some of the fresh categories coming online a little bit more, there still are big, big gaps to close in terms of getting Della prepared items online, getting meat, seafood, what have you online. So I think that's a big opportunity. I think the holiday itself, I think Easter is still going to be uh, very home centric. um, And the one I would say wild card really is the gas prices where we saw huge road trip mobility last year during the summer. And that really re-engaged people with the seasons and visiting family, et cetera. I think the next couple of seasons that we're having, whether it's Easter, Mother's Day, et cetera, a lot of it, I think, will depend on um, what people are doing in terms of, of road trips. I love that. And I agree. I think our future conversations will watch a month to month pivot in what's top of mind in our world. But similarly, in a different frame, I 
I do want to go back to one of the ahas I had early in my career working on the Great Recession, which was we thought folks were going to jump to basics and the lowest brand item cost in each category or forego certain categories. And this escapism at home is such a tremendous opportunity for us. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't predict that charcuterie meats and specialty cheeses would still be as hot as they absolutely are and only accelerating. And further, we're seeing retailers who've rethought the go-to-market strategy and assortment around prepared foods, whether in the meat department, the produce department, or the deli, less reliant on in-store labor and more of a curated culinary experience bringing tastes and flavors to market that, frankly, even food service isn't serving up as quickly. Those two trends, that makes me really excited about how the perimeter can become this Instead of having to go out for a nice meal, how do we make it easier for people to have a nice snack or a nice meal at home? We've gained new skills. People are still using them every day, and we see that in our data. Excellent. You guys, thank you. And um, just kind of dovetailing off one of Anna Marie's um, comments about the upcoming Easter and Passover holidays, we are just about to publish. So by the time this airs, we will be publishing a spring holiday 2022 report that does anticipate larger gatherings and spending a little bit more, not just because of inflation, but because we really want to roll out fantastic celebrations. So with that, I want to thank you both. And I will talk to you next month for a recap of March. Thanks. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.